Hi, and welcome to The Turbulent World with me, James M. Dorsey, as your host. Think that the modern nation-state originated with the emergence of the 17th century beginnings of the era of science and reason? Think again. In a recently published book, political scientist Anna Grismala Busset traces the origins of the modern state to medieval Europe, when religion and the church played a powerful role, rather than the 17th century beginnings of the modern era. Mrs. Grismala Busset's analysis is not simply academic and historical. It puts in a different light notions of Christian religiosity and heritage in Central and Eastern Europe that have strained relations in the European Union between Western European states and former communist countries like Hungary, as well as secular Europe's struggle to come to grips with the religiosity of their Muslim minorities, nowhere more so than in France. Although Mrs. Grismala Bus's focus is on Christianity and Europe, her analysis helps explain why the Sunni Muslim world took a different path and why the concept of a caliphate remains a hot-button issue in Islam. Mrs. Grismala Bussa asserted that secular European rulers needed to create institutions to collect taxes and have an institutional base for fighting wars and negotiating peace on a fragmented continent. To do so, Marx adopted administrative policies and approaches developed by a wealthy church that was Europe's single largest landowner. It levied taxes on its landholdings. In addition, the church boasted a highly educated elite, commanded authority, and held out the prospect of salvation. As a result, the church was an essential source of legal, administrative, and conciliar innovations. The church showed rulers how to collect taxes more efficiently, request and answer a flood of petitions, keep records and accounts, interpret the law, and hold councils that could provide valuable consent, Mrs. Grismala Busser wrote. Concepts such as representation, binding consent, and even majority rules relied on ecclesiastical precedent, she said. In short, the medieval church was so influential because it was armed with superior organizational reach, human capital, and spiritual authority. Mrs. Grismala Busse concluded. Implicitly, Mrs. Grismala Busse acknowledged that the Muslim world traveled down a different path when she noted that there were no governance models in Asia and the Middle East that medieval European leaders could emulate. Mrs. Grismala Busse was likely referring to Islam scholar Ahmed Khouri's groundbreaking analysis of what he called the State Ulama Alliance. That alliance precluded an arrangement similar to that between the church and rulers, as portrayed by political scientist Jonathan Lawrence. This arrangement involved rulers successfully deploying what they had learned from clerics to curtail and sideline the church. 
In his award-winning book, Mr. Lawrence noted that ultimately the Church could no longer prevail and accepted temporal jurisdiction over what became the tiny Vatican state, while reaching a modus vivendi with European governments that ensured its continued existence and enabled it to thrive. European nations strong-armed, expropriated, violated, and humiliated the Catholic hierarchy, forcing it to relinquish its 1,000-year claim to political rule and focus instead on advocacy, global spiritual influence, and its evangelizing mission, Mr. Lawrence wrote. The political scientist argued further that European efforts to undermine the Ottoman Caliphate that was abolished in 1924 in the wake of the emergence of a modern Turkish state fueled theological differences in the Sunni Muslim world. While that may have been a contributing factor, Mr. Kuro's analysis suggested that the evolution of relations between the state and religious scholars in the Sunni Muslim world would have prevented it from adopting the European model irrespective of external attitudes towards the caliphate. So did the absence in Islam of a central authority like the Pope. Mr. Koro traced the modern-day state template in many Muslim-majority countries to the 11th century. This is when Islamic scholars, who until then had by and large refused to surrender their independence to the state, were co-opted by Muslim rulers. The transition coincided with the rise of the military state, legitimized by religious scholars who had little choice but to join its employ. They helped the state develop Sunni Muslim orthodoxy, based on text rather than reason or tradition-based interpretations of Islam. It is an orthodoxy that prevails until today, even though various states, such as Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, have adopted far-reaching social change as part of economic reform efforts and as a regime survival strategy. The orthodoxy is reflected in reticence, with few exceptions, to reform outdated religious legal tenets, particularly when it comes to notions of the state. In a bold move in February, Nadatul Ulama, the world's largest Indonesia-based Muslim civil society movement, argued that Islamic jurisprudence needs to be updated to introduce the notion of the nation-state and the United Nations that groups these states. The movement contended that this would involve abolishing the notion of the caliphate as a legal concept. It is neither feasible nor desirable to re-establish a universal caliphate that would unite Muslims throughout the world in opposition to non-Muslims. Attempts to do so will inevitably be disastrous and contrary to the purposes of Islamic law, that is, the protection of religion, human life, sound reasoning, family, and property the group said in a declaration on its centennial according to the Hijra calendar. Nadatul Ulama's reforms of Islamic jurisprudence do not bind others in a Muslim world where religious authority is decentralized. However, 
they lay down a marker that other Muslim legal authorities will ultimately be unable to ignore in their bed to garner recognition as proponents of a genuinely moderate Islam. As a result, politics rather than morality or spirituality will determine Nadatul Ulama's impact beyond Indonesia, the world's most populous and largest Muslim-majority democracy. The importance of politics is reinforced by the implicit agreement between scholars Grismala Busse, Lawrence, and Kuru that the state has successfully subjugated religious power in Europe, as well as much of the Sunni Muslim world. However, the difference is that in Europe, the church withdrew from politics and retreated to the spiritual realm, while in the Muslim world, religious figures retained some clout, with rulers wanting them to legitimize their authoritarian or autocratic rule. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Diplomats, policymakers, investors, executives, journalists, and academics listen to my twice-weekly podcast and or read my syndicated newsletter that is republished by media across the globe. Maintaining free distribution ensures that the podcast and newsletter have maximum impact. Paid subscribers help me cover the monthly cost of producing the newsletter and podcast. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber. You can do so by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.janesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Or support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mideast Soccer. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. Thank you. Take care and best wishes. Thank you.